Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Well, we made it to the final episode of The Way of Kings. And Slava, I have a surprise for you. I see. Well, you see, but the people don't see. And I was just going to have this ominous voice start talking to you because all they hear is audio. But I guess I'll introduce him. We have a special guest today who is also a Cosmerian. He has read the entire Cosmere multiple times, like myself. He and I are friends here in real life and not just on the internet like Slava and I are. And <laughs> I, uh, I asked him to join us to talk with Slava on his first read-through because oftentimes Spencer and I will see each other about once a week, maybe twice a week, and we will almost instantaneously just go back into theories about the Cosmere, which is fun for us, but we regularly reminisce about how it was reading it for the first time. And then I mentioned that I'm doing a podcast here with Slava, and Spencer started listening to it, and I was like, hey, at the end of Wave Kings, do you want to jump on and grill Slava for all the information that he has or hasn't picked up? And he was like, I'd love to. Something like that happened. Uh, maybe. It was close to something like that. <laughs> he might have had to pull me along a little harder than that, but here I am. Give or, ta- give or take a little bit. A little coercion. So, okay. Well, Slava, why don't you give Spencer just a quick synopsis? Because he did get to hear some of the episodes, but I know that we're recording this before all of them have published. So just give him like a quick rundown of your initial thoughts and feelings about the world, the characters, and the plot. Just like a two or three minute summary. Sure. Well, this is my third Sanderson piece that I'm reading. Uh, I started The War of Kings, and then we read a short story. That's one of our, I think it's the second or first episode which was Shadows for Silence in the Forest of Hell. Okay. So starting this book, I already went into it at least 85% confident that I would like it because I've liked Sanderson so much in those two pieces, really liked him. So I'm like, all right, this is most likely going to be a three for three for me. And it was the case. Yeah. The I What I enjoyed most is I think the the world, the characters, I think before we started recording, we were talking, I... And I said, and I know that the, the listeners already heard me say this a thousand times, I like the pace of the writing, and I like that the characters are not two-dimensional. He yes. really writes characters well. What I did find interesting is there was a lot more description about the world in this book, like okay. and the magic system and even the high storms and some of the animals that live here. You kind of pick up on things that, like, oh, these high storms really affect yeah. the... The landscape and even the flora and the fauna and all the other stuff. So that was stood out as something interesting that kept me intrigued. I wanted to learn more and more as the chapters unfolded. And the desolations, mm-hmm. like the way it starts out with this hook, and then there's four, 4,500 years of silence, 4,700 years of silence, whatever. Yeah. And then there's, you know, Odium comes or Odium reigns. And that kept me hooked. 
outside of okay. the usual stuff that I we we said I, I fanboy out mm-hmm. on about Sanderson, outside of those usual things, what is a desolation in greater detail than we get in the beginning? Why is it coming? It had Tent, I think his name is Tent. Has he been really in whatever he is in the place of nightmares? Has he been holding the bag by himself? Mm-hmm. Because these people broke the broke the oath pack. Yeah. So how did the desolations not come for forty five hundred years? Or was that Odium's Ray's plan all along that hey these guys you know vomit us out of this thing and just forget the oath pack? Mm-hmm. I got what I need. Is that it? And so, like, just processing all those assumptions, as we call Jonathan and I call them, Slava's assumptions for the Cosmere, <laughs> that that kept me hooked throughout the book. And yes, you know, the stories and the story arcs of the characters and and everything they're going through, but that was like the crowning thing, right? The because, apex. Yeah, I want to learn about Cal Apex. Yeah, yeah, I want to learn about Caladan. Yeah, I want to know what's going on with Dalinar's visions and if his sons are going to come around to seeing the, the you know for what they are yep but although i don't want to say that was secondary but overall that was odium and the desolation i really wanted to learn more and that kept yeah. me hooked throughout the read all right feel free to jump in whenever as well spencer i told spencer earlier that i lied to you in an episode that i don't think he'd heard about yasna being pregnant yeah and he, <laughs> he, he got my goat i was like yeah. Wait. When? How? Who? Who? Yeah. Like what the hell? Absolutely. And then he, like, yeah. And then he had a like a capocrifice <laughs> grin on his face, and I was like, okay. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. got you. I told I told him it was interesting because I think Yasna is like the least romantic like character in the entire series. Yeah, she's so mechanical. Yes. In everything she does. I think we don't actually get the the nuance of how well she's put together. Especially in the way of kings, but we get it, I think, a little bit later where Shalon, reg- not regularly, but will from time to time remind us how well put together Yasna is. Mm-hmm. And like that element of who she is as a woman in the Alethi court, you know, sister to the king, is, I think, just a really, like, it's a very nuanced thing that I think Sanderson did really well, but also it didn't get enough play, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's another thing I would say is there is nuance to these characters where, yeah, as Yasna right now, and just let's keep going with her, where she's this very abrasive, or at least can be perceived as abrasive, kind of mechanical, dogmatic woman. But she does feel bad for pushing Yasna to suicide. I mean, pushing Shalon to suicide for her in her mind. Obviously, now we know that yep. it wasn't suicide, but she does feel bad. Because she's taken a liking to Shalon in whatever way Yasna takes likings to people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. I don't detest you. Do you like me? I said what I said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's better exactly. than most people get, especially yeah. Amaram. Yeah. Ooh. Slava, why don't you give us a quick rundown of your favorite characters and least favorite characters from The Way of Kings? I definitely like Shalon. This is the second female character in the Sanderson world that I've identified with. And the mm-hmm. uh, Siri was in the Warbreaker, and it's just her reaction to things, how she processed things in her world. And obviously, I was never carted off to marry a god, king, or queen. But in that immense situation, just the way she 
reacted, I could identify with. And I think I said that to Jonathan in text or whatever. We were just talking about it. I reacted like that to things when I was a kid. I had those similar reactions. Mm -hmm. And they're not gender-specific reactions. They just happen to be given to Siri by Sanderson in this book. So I'm connected to this character. I really like Siri. To the point where, a little side quest here, he's like, so what's going on? He's like kind of quizzing me on the book because it's my first read-through and yep. Jonathan's excited to hear my feedback. And I was talking like, oh, Siri's doing this and she's trying this and it's, it's getting weird with uh, the priest. And he's like, what's going on with Avina? And I was like, I don't know. She's hanging out with the guy, <laughs> the nightblood. Yeah. And he's like, you didn't notice that she almost became a prostitute because she was destitute? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> that happened. Yeah, Because I was so enamored. Totally glazed term, over it. Yeah, totally glazed over that part. Yeah. So anyway, side quest over. For the same reasons, for the same reasons, I am I'm attracted to the character Shalon because in the moments where in moments where she's not doubting herself, because normally that kind of character wouldn't really fly with me. I'd be like, okay, no, I get it. You, you doubt yourself, but I really like people who take action. I because I myself perceive myself as a guy who takes actions. So despite those moments where I was with Shalana, I was like, oh, come on, girl. The way she reacted to things, the way she used humor as a mask, the way she was, you know, was sarcastic and witty. I use humor as a mask. Mm -hmm. And I find myself, you know, and Jonathan can probably testify to this. I can be witty and sarcastic, too, when I try, right? So Strawberry. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. So Shalana as a character really is attractive to me in The Way of Kings. I like Yasna too, I think, for different reasons. As a, a complicated character, I want to see where it goes. Kaladin is just easy to like, and I don't yeah. mean to... But he's the he's the guy, right? He's the main character. You get his POV a lot, and he's been through a lot, and he's trying to do the right things. And he's being set up for the hero. But I still like him, even though it's kind of like almost a cop-out, right? But I still yeah. like him as a character. Wow. Dalinar, Tell us how you really so feel. Much. Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, like Dalinar, not so much as like, like even though he's a good guy, and I and I want to see where he goes. And you know, Oldbringer is supposed to be a really good book Old and giving us Southern. a glimpse into Dalinar's life. Mm -hmm. So when I get to that book, I won't be you know just skimming it because oh gosh, it's Dalinar. But they're not as this is the only word that's coming to mind to me as attractive as Shallan mm -hmm. as a character, right? Magnetic, drawn to yeah. Yeah, wit. I like wit a lot. You'll mm -hmm. notice. You know, there's a pattern. You know, sarcastic and you know, witty. Wait till I you like meet Lift. I like Teft a lot. Like these are like the characters okay. that if if I had to choose, like you know, top five or whatever, mm -hmm. these would be the guys, right? Obviously, the you're gonna have to help me with the name Jonathan, but the the guy who sends Tien into war, the new Lord of Rashon, uh, Rashon, Rashon, yeah. Everything about him like makes me want to Bastard. punch him in the throat repeatedly. Right. Uh, and not just for the TM thing, just, just the way he, like everything about him. <laughs> the way he, he gets only and stole from him. I'm sorry? It gets, it gets worse. Uh, th that's what you said too, Jonathan. So even though I know Liam stole from him, or Liren stole from him, and all that, whatever. Not from him, from the other Lord even. Right. In the little bit we get of him, he's, ha he's very punchable for me. So I don't like him already. Amaram found him to be a garbage person too. Mm -hmm. You know, right? Yep. I don't like the king at all. The king I even hate worse than Amaram. <laughs> oh, I think, boy. I think. Uh, and I was right. I was freaking yeah. right. He did cut the saddle because he's a little <laughs> pe petulant yeah. little child. He did cut the saddle to get attention. And I called it, like, that wasn't even me, you know, cheating. I just yeah. called it. 
Like I know. I knew because there's sometimes I did cheat and found stuff out, <laughs> and Jonathan was mad about me, but yep. I knew he did it. And he th- and I now looking back on the episodes, yeah. Jonathan kept trying to steer me away from that because <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. That was right. Yeah, Jonathan told me he was a little upset that you figured out so early on that Elokar cut the strap. So it's just it's I don't know what it was. It just like a gut feeling. You're a psychopath. Like, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> right. <laughs> just like Elokar. Psych- what? Psychopath say what? So I I don't like the king. I, I find him childish, an unlikable character. Like even Sadius, oh, yeah. he can be like. Sadius, I'll mispronounce all their names throughout every episode. <laughs> Even Sadius, you're like, you're a prick, Sadius. That's and, kind. All right, you know what? You're you're the protagonist. Like, if you're if you're just gonna be very, you know, a little bit more mechanical, if I describe the book, you're the you're the antagonist. Yep. You're you're petty, and you're poor at planning. So you you have to be conniving somehow in other ways. Even though you, that doesn't even always come out as sneakily as as he wants it to be. Yeah. So I kind of like Sadius because of the mm-hmm. complexity there, right? But the king, I, I can't, I, I don't like snivelers. And I understand that we all have our moments and not everybody's meant to be a warrior and not everybody's going to be Dalinar or Kaladin. I, I get that. But if you're a gardener or a proctologist or a mailman, irrespective of your gender here too, because mm-hmm. I want to make this point, I don't like snivelers. And I find the king a sniveler. All three of those... All three of those jobs you described deal with holes. <laughs> so, you know. How observant. You wanna, are you on a, you, you lonely, Slava? Do I need to talk to you? Well, well, what did I say? A gardener, a mailman, and a proctologist. Yeah. All they deal with holes. things into things. Uh-huh. Well, the third one removes things from things. Hmm. Only if two of lucky. them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Spencer this is where we This is quite the Santa. side quest we've already gotten ourselves into. Oh, my into. gosh. <laughs> Spencer, we, yeah. who are some of your characters that are favorites from The Way of Kings? In The Way of Kings, yeah. Um, yeah, talking with Slava a little, little bit ago, I really like Kaladin. I mean, yeah, right, he's the main, one of the main characters, easy to like, yeah. but the things that he deals with just mentally, and I felt like I related to that. Maybe not in as dramatic fashion as Kaladin has had to, but, but yeah, I really like really like Kaladin. Really loved watching him and Syl bond and that friendship that develops between those two and i really like sill as a character too she's curious nature about sill and Mm -hmm. and her wanting to learn and figure out who she is that was super cool for me i really enjoyed that dynamic of of their relationship let's see yeah dalinar i like the character overall i don't know if he's a favorite of mine but it's interesting to see his his progression too definitely loved wit um i do yeah also find or haven't yeah sort of an attraction to like sarcasm or people who like to use sarcasm yeah witty obviously wit witty haha yeah so kaladin Wit, probably two of my favorites. Let's see here. Not as big on Shallan. Um, I found her character kind of annoying. No, that's kind of one of your favorites there. That's okay. Um, no, no hate. <laughs> but, uh, and honestly, I guess that's really not fair for in the first book for me. I guess looking at it perspective of having read everything, I find her a little bit more annoying. Uh, more in the second book than the first. but Specifically the second book? Yes. Interesting. Well, we get more of her POV and in, in flashbacks in the second book, so we see a lot more of her. But I don't know personally. I just and and I don't think it's anything to do. I think she's the uh, most annoying in the third book. Okay, but because I oh, think goodness. she's doing some more discovery in yeah. the second book. Mm-hmm. 
But just yeah, I don't know. I just yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I don't really have too much to hate on other than I just find her annoying. But yeah, and that's fair. And and, and it might be too just like the the constant like kind of back and forth. Like, should I do this thing? Should I not? Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, that, that. And, and Kaladin deals with that too in, in some cases. But for, for me, I found it more annoying in Shalon, where it's like she just like oh, I can't deal with this right now. I'm just gonna run away or like hide or something. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think it's different in your dislike for Shalon doing that versus Kaladin? That's a good question. That is a good question. I think I I feel like. I relate to Kaladin more just with his depression, like his... Um... So you hate women. <laughs> that is not what I said. <laughs> I feel like you're trying to put words in my mouth there, Jonathan. <laughs> Obviously, Slavia will figure out more about Shalon in the next book but and why she is the way she is. But for me, like Kaladin, I feel like I just understood him as a person better and, and just related to him more. And I feel like I've dealt with some of those same things, so... It made sense why Kaladin sometimes takes a step backwards, whereas Shalana, like, I don't understand what exactly she is going through. So I find it because I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. And I find it kind of boring yeah. or annoying. I think if I'm going to be brutally honest, what attracts me to Shalon, as much as I find her annoying when she can't decide what the hell to do, is because I have a weird family relationship. My family situation is strange. So I have like a call it a half a family, a step family for my dad's first marriage. And I don't want this to be, you know, a therapy session for Slava because that's not part of the point of this podcast. But yeah. because this is actually the, like, a certified therapist in Russia. In Russia. Okay. Yes. Well, I'll yep. just speak in Russian then. So I understand having contempt for some of your family members. And I think mm. if you murder your dad, it's more than just, you know, he didn't hug me enough <laughs> or, you know, buy me the princess address I want on the 07. There has to be contempt for that. Yeah. Something interesting I heard on, it was either Joe Rogan or something like that, and it was just a clip. And whoever the guy was, whether Rogan or somebody else, they had a psychiatrist on. And the psychiatrist was saying, the moment somebody rolls their eyes in couples therapy at anything during the session, you know that there's contempt there. Mm. And it's a far, far jump to murdering your spouse. But like, if you're a kid that murders your dad, and a dad who seemingly was kind of abusive. Mm-hmm. There's probably some weird things going on there. It probably wasn't sexual abuse, but it was some kind of emotional and maybe physical abuse to the point where she either killed him or saw an opportunity where she didn't get involved and he died because of her actions. Yeah, you have to have contempt for a person like that. So I can understand that. Yeah, For me, that is understandable. Like maybe for you were when, when Kaladin gets a little bit more morose at mm-hmm. times, you can relate to that because you might have gotten that way in certain similar situations. For me, having that contempt for certain family members, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Because of real reasons, not because, oh, you know, I don't know. We had a fight once when we were seven and he stole my fire <laughs> He truck. stole my toy, I, yeah. Yeah, that's why I don't like my cousin, <laughs> yeah. Phil. No, it's because there was active douchebaggery. Like, it wasn't just like, oh, we're all people and we all sin or we all make mistakes, whatever you know language you want to use there. Mm-hmm. There was active douchebaggery. And it was, yeah, it was hurtful, but it was also to the point where, like, you cannot be around me. There needs to be a boundary set. And I, that might be, and I'll stop with this because I've, I've kind of derailed the conversation. <laughs> I digressed. I understand Shalon's, maybe I understand Shalon or identify with her mm-hmm. because of that. I definitely don't identify with the seesaw thing where should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I. It drives me up the wall. But the other stuff, I do understand. So on that, 
there's it's interesting that you guys bring up these female characters and before the show started we were talking a little bit about this as well but there's actually a reddit post today and somebody asked i'm curious to know the opinions of girls and women on here regarding brandon sanderson's writing of female characters and in one of the top posts the woman she says as a woman myself i don't think he's i don't think he writes women very well so much as he writes people really well I don't have any specific complaints about any of his characters. Some authors struggle with humanizing their characters, but Sanderson isn't one of them. And then I like this version even better where the person below her says, I think it's a combination of he writes people really well and he writes women really well. Or sorry, he and he writes women as people. So speaking about sense. Yeah, speaking about these characters, like what do you guys think about that compared to other authors you've read who have written female characters and you went I've met a few female character or females in my life. They don't seem as back and forth uh, as this character in random book that you you know have read. Yeah, right. So I said I was telling Spencer that I think he writes females well, but I'm not a woman. So if a woman says like, eh, maybe, maybe not, but at least he gets the people part right, I'll believe her because I can only speak from my perspective as a man. But having read other female characters by other authors. These these are not two dimensional stereotypes, cookie cutter secretaries you know. who get the old slap and tickle. Yeah, so like <laughs> the emotions that Shalana's feeling, like the back and forth, that could be done in a poor way where it's just like, well, that's just a silly woman being silly. Yeah, you could write a character like that, or you can give this woman some depth, depth, and you can understand why she is going back and forth. At least you can empathize. Even like someone like me who'd be like, shut up and get on with it. I can at least empathize because I have enough background to why Shalana might be doing the things she's doing. Yeah. That's a great quote. Even if he doesn't write women well, fine. But he does write people well, and women are people. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so when you're reading this stuff, you're like, oh, okay, I get Shalana. She's not, she's not a two-dimensional ninny. She's a young woman who is processing a, a crap ton of stuff and finds herself as a timid person, as an unsure person, she finds herself in situations where she's forced to do things, and when she does do them, she's able to achieve these feats. Finding Yasna and actually stealing the Soulcaster, and then figuring out that it's fake, and then having the balls to go back to Yasna and be like, yeah, I know what you did, and I still want to be your ward, and I'll protect your secrets. That's almost a veiled threat, at least in some in some cases that could be seen as a veiled threat. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, Spencer, you, you, you should answer that question too. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read, I mean, I like to read, but I haven't read a ton of fantasy outside of Sanderson, but in other works, <clears throat> yeah, I feel like you either get your silly kind of female trope character or you else, or you get like the opposite end where it's just like this super badass military commander chick who like just wants to be in charge of everything because yeah, it has like, no flaws. <laughs> yeah, never, exactly. Never went through problems, always has her crap together. You're like, yep. That's not a like, real that's person. That's not, yeah, exactly. So like you said, I, it's very cool to watch how Sanderson writes his characters and how, yeah, each character has their own set of problems. And, and I'll see the further on you get, you'll see more of that. And I like how he writes Navani in later books, watching them, you know, in their own struggles. And even to be able to relate to them as people, I've never been able to mm -hmm. do that with other women characters. And I feel like I can do that in certain areas with, with Sanderson's characters. Like we talked, or you talked about Siri from Warbreaker a little bit. I related to Vivenna a little bit just on how she was kind of set up to be 
this princess character to marry the god king and then all of a sudden she now finds she that's that's not what she's doing she's found herself in this completely different situation yeah. she almost like didn't know what to do and she, like her identity was uh, she was really questioning her identity and who she really was and oh, absolutely um, i related to that on a little bit um i was felt like i was set up to be something uh, my whole life and then after college i was like oh this isn't actually me and now i'm questioning like who i am a little bit and so but like to be able to relate to that from a female character i don't i've never been able to do that with any other female character by another author so yeah yeah it's fun yeah absolutely 100 percent. i agree with you on that and something interesting that like popped into my head as you were talking i think a lot of people have gone through what vivina and you have gone through even me like i'll share a recent example kind of recent example in between all the jobs I said I've done, and before we started recording, I said I've done everything from running a pizza shop to construction to yeah. working in marketing. But for a chunk of my life, like eight years of my life, I was in seminary, and I had the academic bug, and I had a plan, and I had a th- what I thought was you know what people in evangelical circles call the calling, and mm-hmm. now that's that's become cliche and worthless word. But you know, I felt like it was a calling, a, a, a sort of a sort of calling. I wanted to be in Christian academia, and I was being set up to be in Christian academia. I was working towards it, and all of a sudden, things kind of fell apart, and I found myself doing social media management and social media digital strategy for an organization and finding myself excelling at it far more than the academic thing. Like, I can still build you a curricula or 10, and it'll be good. Like, just give me the data. I'll boil it down and I'll be able to make a cohesive curriculum for any, mm-hmm. almost any topic. And that kind of translates into the marketing part of it too. But for a bit there, I was thinking to myself, well, crap, I not only felt a calling to it, I've dedicated eight years of my life to this training and preparing, and now I'm doing this thing. But because, but because in my childhood, my mom was very impulsive and we would move states sometimes just because reasons i learned early on to react to those kind of things react to them better i don't want to say that but just react to them and just change course right adaptability really quickly really quickly so when i was in a new high school well i'm in a new high school because and this has happened 17 times now so i'm in a new state i'm in a new city I'm making new friends so mm-hmm. i'm in a new career and because i've had so many careers that was easy even though i empathized and understood why Vivina was having an existential crisis. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like, oh, this is why I'm attracted to Vivina. No, I'm attracted to Siri because she was pretty much betrayed by her dad. Like that was a a huge betrayal. And I have had serious betrayals by father figures. My dad died when I was nine. So Mm -hmm. I I know nothing about him except a faint memory here and there. But I've had people take up the helm or attempt to to play father figures in my life. And for some of them, I still have that contempt because they did such an asinine job of that, such a poor job of that. And they, not only, not because they were ill-equipped, but they actually treated me actively like garbage. Mm-hmm. So that was, a, that was the thing, like, oh, they didn't know any better. No, they knew better and they still treated me like shit. And so because of that, I think I identified with, you know, maybe even subconsciously, that was where I identified with Siri because I'm like, I get it. I get how she feels. And I also like jokes and, you know, I deal with stuff with humor and silliness. Mm-hmm. So. 
Classic. Yeah. What, uh, you're going to change direction here a little bit. What was your favorite, well, not your top favorite quote, but like what were some of your favorite quotes? And I can help you find them if you have a rough idea of what they are from the Way of Kings. Now, I think this is going to be harder for Spencer because you and I have both read the whole Cosmere. And there are some books that quotes fall in that you're like, wait, wasn't that the other book? And it's like, nope, that was not Way of Kings. I know this Um, is a tough one. It is a tough one. Let me start. Let me start us off. There's a quote from our boy Wit, right? And he is talking to Sadius. I point out truths when I see them, bright Lord Sadius. Each man has his place. Mine is to make insults, and yours is to be in sluts. Just <laughs> in sluts, in sluts. Yes, in sluts, in sluts. Not insulted. In sluts. Did you even read the book? What are you doing here? <laughs> Your uh, b- b- back back this train up. Yours is to be in sluts? Yeah, he's saying that Sadius sleeps with horse. All right. I heard that completely different because audiobooks. I was listening to this in audiobook. I did not hear in sluts. I thought he said insulted. I was like, oh, okay, that's nope. kind of a cool little no, retort. No, in sluts. Because, yeah. you know, insult, I-N-S-U-L-T. No, no, no. I, I'm, and I'm tracking. S. And then insult, <laughs> or insult and in sluts. That's I know a, English isn't your first funnier. language, so you know it's, it is just here, here to help you out. But what I does just, it sound I like in Russian? Composition. I couldn't even begin. Like I had to think about it because I I don't speak Russian that well. Well, don't tell us that. We believe that you're bilingual. Yeah, I am. Yes, I am technically, but I've lost so much mm. of my Russian that it's almost embarrassing to even. So you slowed down. Yeah. I. <laughs> Well played, yes. <laughs> I, I'm not Russian anymore. Mm. All right, favorite Insert quotes, boys. Symbol. What do you got for me? What do you got, Spence? What do you think? Oh, my goodness. See, here's the problem. Like Jonathan said, I'm not going to remember from which book this is, so I don't want to give anything away. Um, well, Slava already ruins things. I have things. moments. I have moments that I like. Quotes are hard for me. Yeah, same. Um, okay, fine, moments. Like favorite the... moments. Favorite moments. We'll change it. One that... One that jumps out, and I do want to get Spencer some airtime here. I'll just, I'll, when Syl comes to the chasm and brings Kaladin the poisonous plant mm. because he likes it, I thought that was kind of like a cute moment. Like, she's like, ah, look, you know, don't die. Here's yeah. a poisonous plant. Not knowing it's a poisonous plant. And he's like, dude, what the hell? Are you trying to, <laughs> yeah. are you telling me to poison myself yeah. instead of throwing myself off a chasm? And I saw, so, so I thought that was, was a good, Here's a silly word for it, but a good like team building thing. Like it's like it's, it's where they kind of bonded. You know, I know it's silly. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't think of the right word, but it was a bond between them when that happened because Kaladin was like, "Oh, okay," and he starts laughing. Kind of, kind of gets what she's doing. If I was going to pick top five events that I really liked in the book, that would be one of them for sure. Nice. That'll be a team building event that I'll bring to Gabe for us to use on Tuesday night, Spencer. <laughs> yeah. Who can bring poisonous plants to your friends? Let's right. go. Uh, to your suicidal friends. Right. <laughs> this oh, is gonna go goodness. for real well. It's, yeah, sure he would appreciate that. Uh let's see, a favorite moment from the way of Kings. Oh, my goodness. So again, I'm not I can't remember if this is from Way of Kings or Words of Radiance, but it's essentially where uh Wit is insulting Sadius, but I think Renarin is there. And Obviously, Wit keeps making fun of Sadius, but then Wit turns his attention to Renarin, 
And Dalinar is like, oh no, Renarin's gonna get made to be, you know, look like a fool. But then he's like, hey, Renarin, Wit's like, again, and I can't remember the exact quote, so I know I'm gonna get this wrong, but essentially Wit is like, Renarin, can you not say anything stupid? And Renarin just kind of like looks at him for a moment and is like, uh, essentially says not anything stupid like he repeats what wit yeah, just yeah, yeah. said yep. and then wit was actually really impressed with that um yep. and... uh, that, that's another favorite of mine yeah okay i'm glad you brought that one up that's a really cool one yep so i was like all right I, that was really cool and it just again made sadius look like more the fool in that right uh in that little interaction there so that was a, a really fun interaction there that i enjoyed well, i have a question we we kind of went in a in a few different side quests and talked about the way of kings as a whole and you know maybe in parts and then we even went to you know Warbreaker's world so in keeping up in that <laughs> jump world hopping yeah like what are some now that you read all of it and that thing this question will be worded in, a, in such a way where nobody's going to spoil anything for me but what are some unanswered questions or mysteries that now that you've read everything. There's some still lingering mysteries about the Cosmere that are just kind of are still there. You're like, man, I really want to know X about Hoyt or X about Shallan or anything. Like mm-hmm. that. Just I'm just throwing out characters I know. Forget characters. It could be a magic system. Um, yeah, I am still very curious about Hoyt. There's obviously a lot more. Yeah, there's more, obviously, that you'll learn once you continue reading the Cosmere, but I still feel like there's so many unanswered questions with him. For me, I'm curious about who he is, what his motivations are, where he's from, all of that good stuff. So he's definitely a character that I am really hoping to learn more about as time goes. More books are written, stories and stuff are told. But Um, And then... There's still a lot more about the recreants and the desolations that we still don't know why they happened. I mean, we do we get a few answers in the upcoming books, but I am just finishing my second read through of Rhythm of War, which is the fourth book. And there's questions that are brought up. There are questions that are brought up there where you're just like, oh, wow. Yeah, that is not a question that's been answered yet. And okay. We, I still want to know. And so, yeah, that's, again, one of those things where Sanderson, like, yeah, it's just it's this long, drawn-out story, but yet he gives you bits and pieces where it keeps you hooked. So, yeah, I definitely want to learn more about the Desolations, the Recreants, and, like, what was really going on 4,500 years before where we're at in the current story. Right. Um, so, Spencer, correct me if I'm wrong, but Dragonsteel, the series that Sanderson wants to write, is going to be Hoyd-centric, right? Yes, I believe Hoyt is going to be the main character in the Dragonsteel series, which I don't. I think he plans on writing that series after Stormlight Ten, so and then Mistborn Era Three. <laughs> so we're going to be sixty-five gonna... or seventy by the time that we get <laughs> yeah, these books. Yeah, say, we're going to be pensioners, you know. Yep. Gonna, okay. So, well. but yeah, those are those are a couple things right now that I'm still curious about. At least with the Stormlight series. So, okay. Now, that's a good answer. I like that. Because it also, it just tells me that there's so much to build out for Sanderson. Because mm-hmm. if if by book four, you know very little about Hoyd, or little enough mm-hmm. to give me the answer you just gave me, I, th- I think that's kind of cool. That, that means, for me, it's cool. It means that Sanderson is building something bigger than I even thought or imagined. So... Let's take a moment from the interludes 
right, where these three guys are chasing after Hoyd. We hadn't met Hoyd yet. We, we've met Wit, but we hadn't met Hoyd. And Spencer, I don't remember us getting a, a follow-up to that, really, right? Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the other three books, like, and the two no- novellas, I don't remember any more information in terms of why people are chasing down Hoyd. It, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I don't recall any other interludes or yeah places in the, in the story where why those three guys are chasing him down. Yeah, I think yeah I don't recall anything else. And and he's there's obviously a lot of interludes across the four books. And so far, yeah, I can't recall recall anything about extra on that. So. Yeah, and it's never part of the main story either. It's always just like a side thing. Another thing that we don't, and I'm going to look to Spencer on this one too, we don't get a very clear picture about what the Heralds are doing. We get an understanding of who they are. We meet two of them per book. I gave Slava that information, but we don't really get the full picture of what they're up to now slash what they've been up to so that's like definitely a big question as well in the course of four books Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you're right that we don't really know what the heralds are up to we do learn see yeah we do learn some more in the fourth book about at least a a couple of them but yeah again their motivations are still kind of unknown i believe it's at the end of the way of kings where Taln shows up Yep. But he's basically completely insane. Like he's mad. Like he's he's ranting and raving and he's just repeating words that he used to say in the old desolations. Yeah, Wit's sitting there at the door of Kolinar and asking the guards like, What do men value most? Or how did he say it? Yeah, what do men value most? Mm-hmm. Is that it? Like yeah. art or science yep. or whatever. And then it's timeliness. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then he says, late. you're late, old friend. I think he says old friend in there. Mm. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember that either. It's, mm. I mean, it sounds like something Wit would say, but... Yeah, but it's just curious because, you know, if Wit is... Well, here's here's a little tidbit for Slava. Wit is really old. Okay. He's super old. That makes old. sense. That makes <laughs> sense. If he's Hoyd and he's a world hopper and there's people chasing him, he can be a 22-year-old. It just makes sense mm-hmm. that he's probably older than what we perceive him to be, mm-hmm. and he's done some stuff. <laughs> he's done some stuff. Uh, that's <laughs> funny. Spencer, give. Can you try and give us a brief synopsis of Mistborn oh, Era said. One? Sorry. Yeah. Well, before you do that, Spence, here's here's what a wit said. Mm. What is it we we value? Wit whispered: innovation, originality, novelty. But most importantly, timeliness. I fear you may be too late, my confused, unfortunate friend. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it and then it ends. Yep. Well, you can't see that, but then it ends. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. All right. Yeah. It's uh. So, Mistborn Era One, Mistborn Era Two. Just like quick synopses to uh, wet Slava's whistle. Okay. So, the Final Empire is the name of the first Mistborn book. Essentially, it's kind of a dystopian type world, very kind of like dark and yeah, just a dark setting, the world itself. The landscape and the geography is definitely different. I'm not sure how much to give away on that. But you can kind of describe it's like it's it's almost Victorian era, 
a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Victorian like area, but also houses. like dystopian. Yeah. Yeah, just the geography setting. But yeah, and then essentially this... And it's a heist. It is a heist story set in okay. a world where... I think even Brandon describes this when he's talking about Miss Morn, but like, what if the... Like when he w- went to write Miss Morn, like what if the bad guy won? And and now you're in that world. And what does that look like? And now this bad guy essentially has been reigning for a thousand years. And this heist story starts taking shape. The The magic system is... I really... I find the magic system in on this plant to be my favorite, even above Stormlight and Surges. Allomancy is the one that you meet in the final empire, the magic. Just very fascinating. Well, I don't want to say too much. I think it'll give it away, but with certain aspects of the story. But I'm just a very unique magic system to me. And and maybe it's because it's not as in-depth or maybe not as complicated as Surge's. It Um, feels simpler a little bit. It it does feel a little bit simpler, so maybe that's why I like it more, but... um, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorites, and it's it's really cool to see how the characters learn what the magic is and how to use it. So okay. so that's Very a synopsis cool. of the first book, and then the series obviously expands upon that. Era 2 of Mistborn takes place 300 years after the events of the first era. And so some of the characters from the first book have passed like into legend. Some of them are, some of them are worshipped. Some of them are not <laughs> but yeah it's in and, and but they're yeah totally new totally new character set in like a 19 or maybe like a late 1800s early 1900s industrial revolution kind of a setting so yeah quite a bit different from era one and the tech starts to you start seeing tech to be developed based off of the magic but also like from like what we know is like real world okay tech so, so it's just very cool to see how he writes fantasy yeah, in like a industrial, a revolution type setting. It's also a bit Western. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely okay. elements of a Western in there for sure. I think we touched upon this, Jonathan, in one of our episodes, or maybe SideQuest, or even just conversations off the air, where this is not your typical Sanderson specifically. This is not your typical fantasy, Middle Earth or medieval times, dragons and knights and witches and kind of you know typical this is very different but it's intricate but it's written in a way where you're hooked you're, you're like oh wow this is this is intriguing what's going on here this thing is schasm fiend you know or the colors thing and war break you're like oh well that's kind of out of left field but mm-hmm. okay I, i'm tracking i, I want to know more so that's cool mm-hmm. i'll probably get to it after <laughs> Stormlight, if yeah. I get to it, we'll see. Who knows what tomorrow will bring. But in book two of the Stormlight Archives, you get secret encounters with Vasher and Nightblood. I like it already. Nightblood's a favorite character of mine. I love Nightblood. Wow, I felt like that was kind of a spoiler there, Jonathan. We discussed it before. Oh, I, I okay. told it to him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, so I'm trying to give Slava some. I'm trying to meet him where he's at with how he wants to engage with stories, where I. I if I don't give him these things, he'll go and search things out that I don't want him to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just trying to feed the beast here. So here's the thing, Spencer, just for your situational awareness. The way I like to read this kind of stuff is I'm totally on track with John Jonathan's plan for this, and I want to be – I'll honor it. Fine. No spoilers. This is first reaction type of stuff as I go. But there's certain things 
that I need to know to enjoy it because it's going to just know out my mind. So certain immediate context yeah. definitions that in Jonathan's minds might be spoilers, but for me, it's not spoiling anything. It's only giving me this immediate kind of some meat on the bone for the immediate context. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, I get it. And then fine, don't tell me the, the spoiler. Just give me this, and then I'll move forward. So that kind of stuff, that particular stuff, the Vasher and Nightblood in, uh, mm-hmm. in book two, that's more just to wet my whistle and him being a, a good friend. Yeah. Giving give me a little morsel. I'm trying to think of the example. Oh, well, while, while you're, while I you're think, thinking. I think I researched Hoyt because when oh, ODM comes, sorry, not sorry, I'm going to look up what, who ODM is. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff okay. Jonathan had to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, I need after, to like, yeah, go for it. No, no, go for it. So when I um, first started reading the Cosmere, I had no idea of a larger Cosmere whole. So when I first started reading Mistborn, that is. Um, and yeah, so I had no like idea what was going on kind of in the behind the scenes, um, some of these um, larger um, kind of like overarching storylines that are almost like being told behind the scenes of like what's going on in the Cosmere. Um, so like, you know, Odium comes and like, I don't know who Odium is, but I didn't really, I didn't really search it out. Um, I just kind of like, oh, I'll figure it out. But then like I read through everything and then people are telling me, oh yeah, there's this, or like I, you know, read stuff online, like find out, oh, there's actually this larger kind of narrative that's going on behind the scenes. And like, I had no idea. So, like, even though I had read everything, I still really didn't know what Sanderson was doing kind of behind the scenes with everything. So, I, I did look up a lot of stuff that I, like, didn't know even the first time. So, like, but then, like, you, on my rereads, then it's like you really start to notice stuff that you didn't notice the first time. Like, oh, well, now I understand why, you know, these characters are doing that thing or why they said right. this. Yeah, so for me, I, I looked up a lot of stuff too. Even though I'd already read everything, I just didn't really know what was going on. So, yeah. but yeah, having having you know certain certain bits of information can be helpful for like immediate context. So I do understand that. I feel like, yeah. and I did ruin one thing where I forgot what I was looking for, or who I was looking up was one of those things. But immediately above the blurb at the wiki at the top, mm-hmm. it had the most important words a man can say. And so I <laughs> knew that. And when Jonathan uh, was like, so Slava, what do you think those words are? And I was like, I'll do better. And then there was this pause where he's like, did he get it? Or is he telling me he'll do better? And he's like, what? You know, and I was like, <laughs> no, I, I, I'll do better. I don't, I don't. Yeah. yeah. Thoroughly annoyed. I was like you cheated. <laughs> yeah, that was uh that is a one of my favorite quotes from from the, uh, the Stormlight archive. So, yeah. One of my favorite quotes and I actually have it on the wall over here cuz Spencer's at my house right now doing this recording and it's a quote from Dalinar where it says, "If I must fall, I will rise each time a better man." It's just such a great quote and then like even the intro question from Gavilar to Dalinar on the night of the feast where he's like, tell my brother he must find the most important words a man can say. And it's like, I've never thought about that, but that's a really great question. And now I want to know what the most important words a man Mm -hmm. can say is. It reminds me of the name of the wind where Elodin tells Kvoth that there's seven words that can make any woman fall in love with you. And I'm like, well, why don't you tell me what those are? Because that could be useful. (laughs) 
I realize this is a fantasy book, but like, it's, it's useful information. Let's find out if it's real. I get my life from philosophy from fantasy books. Don't at me in the comments. Yeah, just because it's in a fantasy book doesn't mean it's not true. That's the kind of spirit that I like to hear. Now, there's a lot of quotable, I, and I can't think of them. Just your question a little bit ago, Jonathan. I can't think of any for the life of me. But as I was listening to the book, there was, been a, there was a couple of times where I was like, whoa, that's a good quote. One of them is from Navani, and I'm going to butcher it again just like I butchered it in the previous episode. It has to do with tradition and doctrine. Dalinar is like, oh, I can't, I can't, you know, you're you're my sister. She's like, I'm mm-hmm. not your sister. I was your brother's wife. He's like, but, you know, tradition says you are my sister. And she says, and I'm paraphrasing, even ad-libbing a little bit. She says, my dear Dalinar, there's a difference between doctrine, which is good and it should guide you, and tradition that is an as is an addition to it. And you should be able to weigh those two. Now, that's a lot of me extrapolating what I think Navani was saying from just a sentence and a half or maybe even mm-hmm. half a sentence. But that's what I got from it. It's like, yeah, there are traditions and doctrines. There are some things that are set in stone. You can beat your head all day long, but you won't be able to crack this. This is an objective truth or objectively good. And then mm-hmm. there's traditions where like, no, I get it why some people might not want you to marry your dead brother's wife. That might be there might be reasons for a culture to come up with those rules, good, bad, or indifferent. And eventually those things become tradition. And that might be good, bad, or indifferent. But at the end of the day, it's your the, brother's dead brother's wife. Like it's okay. It's been like whatever, ten years. You, you can date your you can date your former sister in law. It's you're not gonna nobody's gonna die. It's not gonna end the world. <laughs> yeah. So I, that was what Navani was saying, but the quote itself was just so good. Devotees say what they can't uh devotees can say what they wish, but the arguments do not forbid our union. Tradition is not the same as doctrine, and I will not hold myself back for fear of offending. Hmm. Yeah, see, so that. So I extrapolated a whole crap ton from just that <laughs> Yeah, in my head, just from that quote, but I found that really, really powerful quote. Agreed. There's, And this is one of the things I love about fantasy novels in general, is as these authors get going, the machine in their head that's writing these characters and these moments of dialogue, you're like, oh, shoot. That's like a really good line. Like anytime I go to, for a run, which is not very often these days, but like has been, I literally just in the middle of my run when I'm like, I want to give up. I just go, well, I'm bridge leader. It's my privilege to run at the front. Just that's the mantra. That's that's yeah. what we got. Yeah. And what I find interesting, too, is all three of us kind of attached to different characters and different points, whatever, philosophies, things that have been. Like pulled out, like for me to extrapolate what I just did from Navani's little thing, that's very unique to me, and and I, I could even go into the story of why, because of my family history and just my personal history, I can relate to what Navani's saying: doctrine versus tradition. Mm. That's interesting in and of itself, but also speaks to Sanderson's what we said pace and scope of writing before we started recording. That it's it's immense. It's a good pace. It keeps you interested. But there's such a scope to it too, where not only not only the characters aren't aren't two dimensional, but even the world they live in is more palpable, if I may use that word, than than a lot of other stories. That mm-hmm. I, that's not the so for lack of a better term, let's call it that. That's yeah, that, I think that makes sense. Um, yeah, I also find it 
yeah, the tradition versus doctrine. Yeah, I didn't relate to Navani uh, too much on that, even though I did. Yeah, I grew up in a very conservative type background, and tradition was very important, and doctrine. So I've come out of that and gotten a little bit older and just kind of looked back, and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of things that we ascribed to that just uh, is not as important as they sometimes make it out to be. And and it just kind of, it, it I don't know if it, eh, maybe it ruined some relationships that I've, that could have been better just with family. Yeah. Tradition can be a good thing, but it can also be a hindrance. Absolutely. Absolutely. So currently Slava has us reading a dystopian. We're going to do a quick side quest to catch Spencer up on the behind the scenes here because it's going to be weeks before this comes out. Slava's got me reading this dystopian Russian book about aliens or something. I don't know. Slava, you want to give sci-fi. like a three-sentence? It's more sci-fi than dystopian, but... And it was written in Russian originally? It was written in Russian. It was written in the Soviet, the height of the Soviet Union, which is the, well, maybe not the, the height height. The height, in my opinion, and I'm, the, who, I'm not a historian, but the Soviet Union when during the Cold War and when mm. it was the Soviet Union, like early 50s into mid-70s, that's, you know, when it sort of started... Again, just my amateur historian cap on here. That's when it just started going downhill. Like things started falling apart to get us to the 90, 91 where it did fall apart. So anyway, it was written in 76, 74, 76. It was written by two brothers. And it's considered by sci-fi enthusiasts as one of the best sci-fi books. Like if they're going to pick top 50, this would make it. And it's about seven zones in the world. And obviously the Soviet Union is still around. But because of these seven zones, the world's more unified. And these seven zones are where uh, aliens have visited. So aliens have visited the Earth. There's six or seven zones. And where the where they visited, they've wreaked havoc. They're space machines, space vessels, whatever happened, they just wreaked havoc in these zones. And these zones are protected by the government. So the characters we meet in, meet in this book, they're either black marketeers who go into the zones to try to pick up alien trinkets or government workers who study the zones. That's that's the the setup for mm-hmm. the story. Sorry Jonathan, now you may you may speak now. <laughs> you may speak now. Well, wow, it sounds like Soviet Russia. <laughs> I've been dominating this podcast which is very unusual. Usually Jonathan kind of guides the conversation and I kind of <laughs> yeah. tag along and here I am just yammering mm-hmm. on. Spencer makes you feel comfortable. Is Spencer your uh, emotional support friend? Emotional support human, yes. Spencer's <laughs> functioning <right. laughs> as that right now. <laughs> Sweet. I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. I bring one more Cosmerian in and, and Slava's just <laughs> geeking out over here. Tell there me all go. the secrets. Uh... Spencer, tell me all the secrets. Um, I had a point. I I forgot what they were. but uh, Slava the... making you read dystopian novels. Yeah. Catching Spencer up on behind the scenes. Yeah, I think I deviated too quickly. That should have been an end piece. I did want to ask another question about the Cosmere, and then we can wrap up here. The Investiture. So Slava knows a little bit about Investiture, but not a ton, because he's read Warbreaker, he's read Way of Kings, and he can see that Investiture is an element or like a piece of the the way that these planets work. But how do we... Oh, how do you ask this question? Um, how do you describe 
that that's not a good way to and i and i haven't given you guys enough information to like help me with this question so i'm just like floundering over here spencer investiture in the cosmere and and things of the the planets and like how do you i don't have a question here that's it that's the episode Great, great question, Jonathan. Let me elaborate here if I can. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. Yeah. Uh, Spencer, do you have any questions for Slava? Yeah. Yeah, I guess one thing I wanted to ask is like, what do you, I guess Jonathan kind of teased this out a little bit already, but I was curious, like what you think of Wit just in general, like, is there anything about him that you're just kind of like, I don't know about this guy or like, I don't know, what's your thoughts on him? Yeah. Well, I I like him because he's witty, and he's funny. Um, so that out of the way, and our, we already mentioned that. I was pleasantly surprised that he is Hoyd, because that interlude when Hoyd is introduced and there's three guys chasing him. Mm-hmm. I I was badgering Jonathan a little bit. What is going on here? Like I want to know more. And yeah. so that's where I looked up Hoyd. And that's when I got the uh, the fact that he's a world hopper. So this is the three times mm-hmm. I kind of went outside of the scope of the project just because I really needed some context. Yeah. But and I did look up who Hoyd was. And the, the only thing I took out of that thing is, uh, um, oh, no, I found out the, the words, the words, uh, the most important words a man can say when I was looking Gabalar up. That's how I learned that. So when I looked up Hoyd, all I learned was he's a world hopper. And I came back to the the next episode with that information and i that's what intrigued me like so what is he doing so to answer your question spencer Mm -hmm. like what's intriguing to me about hoyd is what is he doing world hopping like what is this what is his uh motivation what's he up to uh, during these hops and he's obviously done something that he has three people looking for him now they might not want to rough him up or make him answer for anything, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, they're looking for him. So whatever yeah. he's up to is intriguing. And as we go farther into the way of Kings towards the end, like it seems like he's placed himself close to the king. He's helped Dalinar out. He's placed a person in Caledon's bridge, the, the, the world singer, and he's gotten himself Jonathan tried to dissuade me from this, I think, it's subterfuge. <laughs> and he put himself close to Kaladin in the woods as Kaladin is, you know, walking it off, like the st- walking the stormlight off. And so he, and then he talks to Talon and says, hey, you know, you're late, my confused, crazy friend. <laughs> yeah. So he's up to something. So I, I believe, Slava's assumption here, I believe the world happening, he's doing something in these worlds. And here on Roshar, it seems to be he's setting something up. That something is very vague and nebulous, I know, mm-hmm. but it's in a reaction to the desolation. He's talking to the people, and he's getting close to people who are going to be, if we figured it out, Knights Radiant, right? The, he's kind of next to the people who the voice and the visions is building, you know, the Knights Radiant again, and he's put himself next to these people. And he seems to be, at least in one instance, well, two, with Kaladin and with Dalinar, helping them, even if it's just throwing them a little scraps, like with Dalinar, mm-hmm. in, re- in regards to Sadius. So I want to know what he's up to, and if he's a friend or foe. Overall, I think he's a great character, but what I want to know about him is, are those two things. What he's up to, and is, is he friendly to the cause, or is he being, you know, wit? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was, um, and again, I don't remember if this is in the second book or not, but he does mention to Dalinar that... Anshalon. Anshalon, yeah, that he's not... Basically, if they get in his way, he's not afraid to do what is necessary to achieve his goals. Okay. So, if that's in the second book, sorry for, for spoiling that. No, but, no, um, that, that, but see, that's not even a spoiler, I don't think. Yeah. I think okay. that just like, so he yeah. does have goals. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't tell he, me his goals, yeah. right? That just tells me right. yep. that what I already know, Shallan comes to the Shattered Plains, that's kind of, you know, given. Mm-hmm. Kaladin, because he's uh, now a captain, he's going to be part of this this family. Yep. So him and Shallan are going to meet. That's probably going to have its own interesting dynamics. And Wit's coming back, right? Like, I kind of figured he was going to come back to the king. Mm-hmm. And so him interacting with Dalinar and Shallan, that, that, that's kind of a almost a given and based on my assumptions here i, I think uh i mm-hmm. think you gave me a good morsel he's gonna, <laughs> yeah. they're gonna be doing something that might mess with his plans yep. and he's like shut up people you know, <laughs> don't, don't yeah. stay in your lane yeah yeah essentially i think yeah wit is yeah he's not afraid to do what well what we what he deems necessary to achieve his goals and if dalinar gets in the way of that he will wit might try to to take Dalinar, well, I mean, see, he might—he's not afraid to be enemies with with Dalinar. I think if that makes if, sense. if it comes to that, Wit yeah. will continue to pursue his goals regardless of whether or not someone he's befriended gets in his way. Yep, makes sense. Yeah, I think that was that's kind of one, the one thing that I was really curious as to mm-hmm. to your thoughts on. I had another question earlier, and now and now it's it's slipping my mind. Yeah, I. I'm excited to keep up with this and see, like, yeah, it's always fun to watch someone on their first time reading through Sanderson's works. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to experiencing your journey as, as this uh, podcast continues. Yeah, no, me too, man. I appreciate That's that. That's what I told him. Everyone wants to go back to their first time reading the Cosmere. <laughs> yep. And even each reread has its own revelations because once you experience the full Cosmere and then you go back and read the individual stories, you start to see things and you're like, oh, wow, he really, <laughs> he foreshadowed this way ahead of time and you have no idea. So that's one of the things that I love about Sanderson is just like the amount of foreshadowing that he does is just insane and you have no idea until you get, like, until you do a reread. So Very cool. Spencer, was Liren justified in taking the um <laughs> was Liren justified in taking the uh money from the Bright Lord of their town before Rashon showed up because he had a verbal agreement with whatever her face's name is for Kaladin Laurel? and her to get was it Laurel? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the girl that Kaladin kinda like had a crush on. Yep. Yeah, was Liren justified in taking the um the uh chips, the the, the coins? Mm. God, what are they called? Help me Spheres. out here. Spheres. Thank you. I'm like, this is not <laughs> Oh man. It's a Thursday. I mean a chip is the it's the smallest I know. denomination. Yeah. Spheres. Of that money. was the word Sorry. that I was looking for but though. Yes. But yeah. What do you think? What do you think, Spence? Oh man. I don't know what I think on that. That's an interesting <laughs> conundrum there. But I mean, it was a verbal agreement, right? But by Liren and the former Bright Lord. But then again, Liren kind of manipulated his way into that verbal agreement. I believe we find that out at some point. 
so yeah, I don't know. Liren, he thinks he's justified, and, and you could argue that because the the Bright Lords treat their dark eyes horribly in some cases, you could say Liren was justified in doing that. Um, he's trying to do a good thing, even though he might have been went went about it in a technically illegal fashion. Yeah, I don't know. If you're going by strict rules of the law, maybe it was illegal for Liren to do, but I don't think it was morally i don't think it was wrong okay shallan (laughs) (laughs) jonathan uh he brings that up because jonathan and i had a had a discussion on this and at the end what i said was yeah i'm not blaming liren i'm not like you know wagging my proverbial finger at him yeah but he freaking stole spears (laughs) i don't care if it's a verbal agreement or not he stole them and Uh, you know that's you know that's yeah. it. I'm not even making a moral judgment, although I have an opinion about it. Just the facts, ma'am, right? Like uh, from that TV show from the 70s or 80s. That's it. Like he stole them. Again, for specific reasons and for reasons that are not so specific, which is I sound like I'm an insane person here. I'm not making a moral judgment. I'm not like wagging that finger at Liren for doing it. But if mm-hmm. I'm, if somebody's asking me, did he steal those? I'm like, yeah, he stole those. Now, would you steal okay. a piece of bread to feed your family? I would. There might have been a, a verbal agreement, and he might have known that Keldon and What's-Her-Face are never going to get married, and, well, I never charge anybody for my surgeries. I just take, you know, a couple of chickens and a piece of bread. He might be just going through a bunch of stuff in his head, mm-hmm. and in his own head, he might be justified taking them. But what you call that is stealing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the conversation that Jonathan and I had. A, that's why he threw that question out. So I can okay. continue ranting on how I think Liren is a thieving <laughs> bastard. So so Slava said, you know, he's going back and forth and he feels insane. And that's why he likes Shalon so much. There you ah. go. There it is. Yes. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it all comes out in the wash. It all oh, comes my out. gosh. Oh, man. I was going to say one more thing about Liren. Liren has, he did a number on his family. We'll just say that. He, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I can't even tell from not knowing what you're referring to that he did because he, he kind of seems to be – he here's what I said, I think. He brings trouble on himself. He does things and says things and even some of his beliefs, says some of his worldview and how he then acts upon certain things, that brings him trouble more than anything. And you kind of get this thing, oh, he's so noble, he's a doctor, he's a surgeon – and he even operates on people that hate him. And he's trying to clear Kaladin of any... Um, Guilt? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not racism, not classism, but discrimi- discriminatory kind of a posture. What is that? Uh, there's a word for it. Discrimination? Yeah, but there's uh, another word for it. <laughs> okay. Uh, when, when you when you have uh, ill feelings towards a group of people, but it's not racism, because that has a particular definition. When you're... Bigots? Yeah, certain bigotries. Let's let's go with that. When he's trying to kind of cl- maybe clear Keldon's head of what he perceives as might, as might be bigotry, and he's like, well, no, they might be a little kooky, they might be a little crazy, but they're still people. We still have to, you know, whatever, heal them mm-hmm. and, you know, sew them up, and we they're still human beings. So even doing that, which is a, a noble thing, I you know, to teach your kid not to be a bigot, even when you see people acting badly you can't ascribe that to all the people in the town if just some are acting badly but even in that even in the in the, oh, those stereotypes? actions stereotype yeah but i was looking for a different b- word that that it has to do with how you react to stereotypes that's why i was 
thinking about racism and bigotry, but it's it's not those words. Anyway, like even in trying to instill some some good characteristics into Calden, just the way he goes about it, it's almost like I don't want to say it's duplicitous. That's too strong a word. Brainwashing. Because he, I think I think he believes what he says, but oh, even yeah, the way he 100%. does that, it kind of backfires mm-hmm. on him, right? Like, am I making sense? Because I'm not in my head, but I I have words that are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it makes sense. All right, let's transition here. To, looks like Spencer has another question for you. All right, so Slava, can you tell me like your assumptions so far of like how the Cosmere ties together as a whole, or like what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have very little thoughts, only because I only read two books. And only in the second book did we get a better understanding of the connections between the planets and the Cosmere. So there's the world hoppers who are hopping the worlds to find Hoyd, who is hopping worlds. Um, whatever his plans, noble or ill-noble, he's causing trouble. He's getting people yep. interested in his little escapades. So if, is there war among the planets? I don't think so, because there's only a few people that can world hop. And those people seem to be moving the chess pieces on each particular planet. Mm. And that's all I can say because an assum- I can't – that's why I want those little tidbits, those little context clues because then I'm better poised to make an assumption. By itself right now, the world hoppers, I can maybe make an assumption on them, and that is that they're running around causing trouble or chasing a troublemaker. But how the world is connected – I haven't read enough to even even know. Yeah. Unless I'm missing something and then tell me that, review that to me, and then I can make an assumption based on that. But if I'm missing a mm-hmm. connection between the worlds, unless I know that, I can't make a, a definitive assumption. So so you you know Vasher, right? Warbreaker? Yeah. Yep. You're, you're familiar with Vasher. You remember his personality type? So he's on yep. Roshar now. You'll meet him. He's He's secretly hidden. You won't notice it right away, but he's there. Do you think he's a world hopper? Well, yeah, because it was a different planet that he was on when we were at Warbreaker. Okay. And you said a minute ago that you believe the world hoppers are trying to control the chess pieces of different planets, right? Well, at least Hoyt is. And, and so not a person like Vasher, hoppers. was that? So not all world hoppers are trying to control the chess pieces? No, some are maybe responding to the movement of those chess pieces. And I think Vasher might be the type of guy who might be responding to something instead of actively trying mm-hmm. to manipulate a planet. Okay. I was going to try and corner you okay. because Vasher is just like, I mean, he, he tells it to Vivina. He's like, I'm a grumpy old asshole, but I always tell the truth or whatever he says, you know? Yeah. Even when I lie. <laughs> and so he's he the type of person that. who's like, he, he just wants to be left alone. But he's a world hopper. So is like, like Roshar his Florida? He's just retiring to Roshar? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Roshar is the planet you want to go to <laughs> you know, to the retire. High storms. Oh, yeah. Well, Florida <laughs> has hurricanes. Roshar has high storms. There you go. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. And on either account, I mean, I think technically Vasher kind of does go to Roshar as a Florida-type getaway, even though he's a curmudgeon. Yeah. I'm so know. excited to see the havoc Nightblood's going to cause on Roshar. Even yeah. if it's just a little havoc, if it just 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 you know, you have whatever. no idea. <laughs> I still have no idea, and we've <laughs> read the whole Cosmere. 
if I got to pick a book that he was going to write next after Stormlight 5, it would be Nightblood, Warbreaker 2. Yep. Yeah, I'd love to see see what goes on after the events of the It'd first It'd be one. so much fun. Mm-hmm. Or like a yeah. prelude to Warbreaker, some sort of book series before that. Yeah. Yeah, like what are, what is it, the five or whatever? Five scholars. Um, five scholars. Uh, like, yeah, what are they? Arsteel, Yeastil, Vasher, whatever his first name was. I thought Vasher was Yesteel. No, Arsteel and Yeastil. He talks about at the end of Warbreaker that they're still around, and it's kind of like a oh. cliffhanger that he's going to go deal with them. And then, what was the name of the woman he was in love with? Shalash. No, that's a herald from from a, Stormlight. But it was something with a sh in it. That's <laughs> kind of vague. Yeah. And then Denth, right? Denth was one of the, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 Yep. And it was Denth's sister, whoever it was. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah, I'd be curious just to know like their origin story. I figured out that word that I was looking for. It's called prejudice. <laughs> that so, that actually makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So he wanted to curb Caledon's prejudice against the uh, the town folk. That's what I was trying to say. My Perfect. excuse is always English <laughs> is my second language. Even though I speak without a without an accent, English is my second language because I learned it later in life. And I've studied French. I've studied Spanish. And I've studied ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew. Pretty proficient for a while there in seminary in ancient Greek and pretty proficient for a while there of French back in my high school years. So my brain sometimes, when it tries to create a sentence, it it does not do well with, with English. Mm. It, it thinks like, well, how would the French say it? And then it comes out in English like that, but that's not how English speakers <laughs> say mm-hmm. this, these things. Or I have a hard time pronouncing words. Because I've you know I've learned how to pronounce things in Hebrew, like mm. ancient Hebrew has a little bit of a different pronunciation as modern Hebrew. Koine Greek, which is the New Testament written in Koine Greek, it's mm-hmm. pronounced a little bit than modern Greek. French has its own beast of a pronunciation uh, rules, and then English, and then Russian. And so sometimes when I try to pronounce a word, it comes out all not the way it's supposed to. Yeah, I'm, is. English is my only language, and sometimes I still don't get it right. So you know, yeah. well, <laughs> it's but fine. English is just a beast of fun itself. So. On that note, I saw a comedy bit or like a meme where the guy's like, if you ever can't remember a word, just go, oh, I can't remember what it is in English. And then people will assume you're bilingual. There you go. I sent it to my yeah. girlfriend who's uh, Latina and she's like, but I do that. And I was like, right. And now I'm going to do it because then people will think that I'm also bilingual. <laughs> oh, speaking of my girlfriend and then we can end this plane. I was going to say this earlier and I forgot to uh, when we were talking about Liren and stealing the spheres. When I went mm-hmm. to Vegas for my trade show recently, I told her if I die in the plane crash, I need her to come steal my Xbox and then text Slava that you took the Xbox. He'll understand what you mean because in part of yeah. the discussion we had about <laughs> yeah, taking yeah, yeah. the spheres, he made an example yeah. like, well, you know, if you take the Xbox after I die. Well, I was like, this is why I elaborate, and you, but this is why I elaborate <laughs> and at, at the same time, very stretched analogy for why I think Liren is a thieving bastard. I'm kidding. <laughs> why I think Liren did steal the, the yeah. spheres. It was actually, you could call it stealing. I was like, so let's say you and I are friends, Jonathan, and you have a sister, and we're all friends. And I have some sort of relationship with your sister that could be called courting. And you get hit by a bus. And the only thing I ever wanted of yours was your Xbox. And now that you're dead, and I'm kind of sort of dating your sister, I'm just going to take your Xbox. Without any permission, without anything. 
Now, is that really bad? No, because we're all friends. We're family. And I'm even dating your sister now. And as she's mourning for you, I'm there for moral support. But it would still be not my Xbox. Like, And I know I'm being a bit absolutist there, but I'm just trying to prove a point. I'm like, it's still not my <laughs> Xbox. It's still not his fears. So anyway, that was – I'm not making that point now. I'm just giving the context. That's what was the conversation. Hence, okay. And hence, so uh, after – if if I would have died, I wanted the joke to live on. Yep. <laughs> this is how This is how far I'm taking a joke. I was like, okay, so here's the deal. I need you to go and – like this doesn't have to make sense to you, but like in the podcast we talked about this and I just need you to go and take my Xbox and then tell Slava that you took it. <laughs> Life after and lo- the, if, laughing. If, and as sad as I would be – that you died. If I got a random text from your girlfriend and saying I have the Xbox, that would probably make my day. I would, I'd, exactly. I'd find solace in solace. <laughs> well, not solace. You in death, <laughs> but, but I'd find some levity in, you in and, your passing. Yeah. <laughs> in that I preface or like I prepared in advance that if yeah. I die, I need her to do this. This is my last yes. request, my will and testament. Yeah. Take one item from me, just one, and then like let Slava know and that you Slava. took it and tell him yep. it's not stealing. Yep. <laughs> oh, oh man alright well that's the episode yeah. I'm so glad that you could join us Spencer on this uh, yeah, celebratory great. Good meeting you. yeah nice to meet you too thanks for having yeah. me on Absolutely. I'm going to try and get Spencer back in on some other Cosmere books oh, because yeah. I think it'll be fun Do it. yeah and... I'd love to, to, to join and yeah, see where you're at and experience your journey through this yeah no no and I'm happy to share it because like I said I'm a bit reserved because of all the things we already said but yeah, it seems it seems people do want to hear it, and uh, and I'm happy to play along because this project, as I'm, we're calling it, of ours between me and Jonathan, it's a thing I'm serious about. So I'm gonna give it my all. Nice, very cool. One last note from me because I thought this was really interesting. So I had a call today for work, and it's this like I'm I'm you know vetting a vendor to be like, hey, can we use your product? Blah blah blah. And he's like, oh, wow, you got a you got a nice microphone set up there. You probably, like, do a podcast or whatever. I was like, actually, I do. He's like, I know, because I stalked you on the internet. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? I was like, I don't have my name on almost, like, my last name on any of it. And he's like, but I know that you, you run the SideQuest podcast. And I was like, holy okay. shit. <laughs> okay. All right. Wow. Yeah. It was <laughs> so, wow. I, was, I was like. Okay, and then when later in the conversation, I was like, did you ever search me out? Did I, what did I say? I said, okay, you found that, but did you find when I was doing anime watch-throughs? And he's like, no. And I was like, good. <laughs> <laughs> I saw only one of those, and it was the most acid trip portion of the thing, too. So Jonathan sends me a, sends me a link to, like, here's my anime watch-throughs. And so I click play and like fast forward like three minutes or 40 seconds or whatever it was. I just fast forward a little bit to when I think, okay, Khan was definitely started the, you know, intro chit chat is over. And it was something about defecating or, or something. <laughs> and I was like, what? How? What's going on? That's, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that would be an interesting part of the conversation to, yeah. to step in on there. Yeah. Well, I was just really surprised that this guy, like, because, I mean, Slav and I haven't put our last names on this podcast, and we've only no. told our close friends, like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Like, listen to it because I need you to uh, tell me if I'm an idiot or not. Well, that's not the question yeah. I ask because people will answer it honestly. Um, yeah. <laughs> I haven't even told my family about this. Shout out, Mom and Dad. Yeah. Yeah. I told a few people, and it has come up in conversations naturally. 
at work, and so now I have two listeners from work that are might be uh, joining the the crew here or the, the audience. But other than that, I've told nobody. I forget where I was going. I was going to piggyback what Jonathan was saying, but it's funny that you have a creeper uh, vendor. Whatever. Whatever, indeed. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Goodbye, good people. But no, Mr. Creeper Man, please continue to listen to the SideQuest podcast. (laughs) I don't think that he's going to actually, I don't think he actually listened to it. I think he just, he's a salesman. He was just looking for a talking point. He's like, oh, Mm. are you, is that a microphone? Are you happy to see me? That was his opener. And I was like, you got the sale, bud. It is both. Usually when our podcasts end, they, they digress quickly into this, this acid trip that we're doing now so what i, see, I do very interesting yeah so what i do is i just say goodbye good people and that ends the podcast that's it all right